Hey, I was wondering if you and I could actually spend more time together today, uh, if you're free this afternoon. <laughs> hey, as far as I'm concerned, I can't get enough, Rob. <laughs> Indeed. I know that's how Brian feels. All the time. <laughs> All the time. Jesus declares that on occasion, a storm will come that tests whether our practices are built on a rock or upon the sand. As we find ourselves in the midst of a storm, we unpack five shifts the church must make to ensure our foundation is on the rock. Welcome, friends, to episode eight of season two of the Disciples Made podcast. We're talking a lot about the five shifts that we uh, must make in response to this post-COVID world. Today, we are bringing on an extraordinarily special guest to me. This gentleman has been highly influential. Um, he doesn't know me all that well, but he sure has shaped the way I think, and he has widened the aperture for what I believe God can do in my life. But Rob, you know this guy way better than I do. Will you please introduce him? Yeah, this is uh, Dave Ferguson. And uh, you may have heard of him. I voted for him for president of Exponential, and he won. Yes. <laughs> Can we go for the United four States? Four more years. Four more years. <laughs> He's awesome. And there, and there hasn't been a recount. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> I'm sorry. I cracked myself up. Um, and he's the visionary leader of New Thing. So I get the honor of being on Dave's team. I'm I'm on the global leadership team for new thing and he and i met um because of his hunger and his humility uh we were this is back in the mid 2000s maybe 2008 or 9 so late 2000s um we had seen a community center emerge in an at-risk neighborhood in south bend and dave is someone who you know i knew his books and uh and of course, Community Christian, their story had influenced us. Um, big idea had really impacted me as a communicator, his book that he wrote with his brother. And so he called, and I was like, Dave Ferguson called. <laughs> I'm nervous. <laughs> and uh, he brought a team up because they were in a very similar spot and became fast friends. And Dave's been at times a spiritual father to me, at times um, a buddy, um, my leader. And I think he is one of the finest examples I know of true humility and true authority combined um, to express the mission of Jesus. Yeah. So he's one of my heroes. And we are thrilled. Thanks, man, for making time for this conversation today. Hey, Rob, Brian, thank you very much. And my admiration for both you guys uh, is very much the same. So this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, Dave, why don't just, you? most of our listeners will be familiar with you, but, you know, give them like the two-minute overview of, you know, who you are, your mission, uh, why it matters to you. What are you up to? Probably in a phrase, I would say my mission is to help people find their way back to God. And um, that's actually is the mission statement for the, the local church that I get to lead in Chicago called Community Christian Church. Uh, one of the things that I think I discovered along the way was that probably the best way to help people find their way back to God was through the church. And uh, so I got involved in church planning, but not just church planning, but how do we uh, plant churches that plant churches? And um, so community now, we are one church with four different types of expressions. We could kind of talk about that. That's some of the stuff that we're moving into. 
uh, new thing, which it is a blast to get to uh, partner with Rob on. Um, that's another way that we help people find the way back to God is that's, we may talk about this, but God has been extraordinarily kind to new thing. And we're super grateful for that. And then I also get to be, uh, like you mentioned, the president of exponential conference, which not only in the United States doing conferences and regionals and a lot of other stuff, but we're taking it to Europe and also Australia. And then, uh, uh, I get to write a little bit and speak and stuff like that and married and three, three grown kids. And God's been very, very kind, very, very kind. And a runner that doesn't stop in the Chicago winter, I hear. I, I am trying. Yes, that's exactly right. That's how I'm keeping my sanity these days. I hear you. I thought about you actually this morning when I was on my way to the gym. It's like, oh, it's snowing here. If it's snowing here, it's snowing there most likely. And Dave's out running and uh, it's good stuff. Dave, one of the questions that we are posing to all of our guests, and we are answering ourselves here during this season, uh, is around uh, a question that Andrew Crouch has posed. And the question is, is COVID-19 just a snowstorm, mentioning snow? Is it a winter season, or is this an ice age for the church? How would you answer that, and why do you answer it that way? Yeah, I think that was that's based on an article that Andy wrote. Was that like back in, well, it was pretty early, April or May. Um, I think at this point, it's clear it's definitely not a snowstorm. I think we figured that out because about Easter time when, you know, we're going like, oh, yeah, we're all going to be back by Easter. And we weren't. I would say it's not even a snowstorm because what's happened with COVID, I think, is clearly more than an interruption. This is a disruption. I I guess if you're going to put it in a category, I'd I'd call it more of an ice age. And, And not so much in how long it lasts, but I think in the impact that it's having on the landscape of culture and the landscape of the church. Well, what do you what do you see as some of those lasting disruptions? Are there two or three things that in particular stand out to you? I think there's certain things that have happened that were reactions to COVID that then have now morphed into preferences that are actually going to become behaviors, or maybe even already are behaviors. And I think the church is going to have to adjust how we do church to these new set of preferences and new set of behaviors. Uh, the way I explain it to our staff is I call them red light, yellow light, and green light people. So you got red light, yellow light, and green light people. You got red light people who I think their reaction to the pandemic was really to hunker down. There was a lot of even fear about it. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going anywhere till this thing's over. I think then there was yellow light people who are kind of cautious, who are like, no, I'm taking it serious. You know, I'm, I'm doing all the protocols, but I'll venture out as I need to. And I think there were green light people who are like, you know, very little caution. And some of them even kind of like, what pandemic? What are you talking about? I think what's shifted, though, now is I think some, after living in that space, reacting to that way, are now there are actually preferences being created. So I think there's some people that are now red light people because they're going like, dude, I love working from home. This is awesome. I didn't think I'd like it. I don't want to change. Or another preference is, you know, my gym membership. Turns out I can buy a Peloton, put it in the basement. I spend less time on the road, less time. I can get everything done in less than an hour. This is awesome. I love this. And so all of a sudden they have a red light preference. I think there's some yellow light people too. Now that went from reaction to preference where they're going like, I spent a lot more time with fewer people out of safety, like my neighbors, 
um, or maybe my small group or a certain set of friends and relationships. And you know what? The quality of those relationships, the quality of my life, I think it's actually, I didn't anticipate that. I think it's better. I want to keep living life like this. And then you got green light people who are going like, man, as soon as, you know, in your area, as soon as the chiefs will let me have a seat, man, I want to be back in that stadium. You know, as soon as my church opens up, I want to be back in there with worshiping with everybody. And so what I think, that's why I think, I think this has changed the landscape of culture and consequently church. And so for our red light folks, I think if the church is not fully jumping in and fully embracing kind of digital, you'll ne- you're not going to reach those people because there's going to be a lot more people who, who are now saying, you know what, I, li- I, I, like, I just like it staying closer to home. I think for the yellow light folks, and maybe we'll talk about this some too, if they don't get on board with what kind of some micro expressions of church, they're going to miss maybe the opportunity uh, that's that God has put before us during this season to really reach more people. And uh, my language help people find their way back to God. For green light people, I think uh, you know a lot of lo- a lot of churches have already reopened or slowly reopened or have gone back and forth. But those gatherings will happen again, and they'll be there for the green light people. But to me, I guess kind of going forward, I'm looking at those categories. Okay, how do we reach red light, yellow light, and green light folks? Yeah, that really sets up our whole conversation for today. Because um, what you're describing is a decentralized effort. In other words, we have to be in all three of those lanes with leadership, with discipleship, with community, with mission. And a church leader who's ignoring two of those lanes is probably a year or two from now going to be in a place of regret. Am I hearing you right? That's my preference. I I think there might be... I don't know if we want to go there. I think there might be niches for like church planners. So a church planner might go, you know what? I'm going down this digital path and that I'm just stay, I'm gonna and I'm gonna go deep. And that's the only one. I'm not gonna go micro. I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna go yellow or green. I'm just going red light. I think there may be church planners who are also gonna go, I'm just going yellow. I'm I'm ignoring the green and red. And there might be people who go green, but I think that's kind of been where everybody's been. Everybody's been in the green light lane. Actually, I was I was on um, the Church Pulse Weekly podcast with Kinnaman and, and and Newhoff. And actually, David said, he said, and I didn't know it because this was just kind of an intuition thing at the time. He said, no, based on our data, he said, people fall kind of into those three categories. So I think you're right, Rob, that particularly church like Community Christian, for us, we would be foolish, I think, not to say, okay, how do we go after all three of those groups? And what what we're going to look at in this shift, we're saying this is required in the post-COVID world, is a leader, uh, most church leaders have been trained in what you could call centralized forms of leadership. And uh, using the analogy from Ori Brofman in his book, he talks about the spider and the starfish. So the spider has a head and a body and legs, and a starfish actually has these appendages as well so from a distance they can kind of look the same but when you get up close you know you chop off the head of a spider and the spider no longer functions (laughs) or you take off three legs the spider's done but a starfish you cut off any part and it reproduces the whole and so centralized leadership there's typically a quote-unquote head might be a lead pastor might be a board and they have the decision-making power and authority and it's pretty well centralized and uh, the appendages could be maybe the different programs of the church or so forth. 
Um, a decentralized movement uh, is what started in your heart and John's heart so many years ago. You had a vision for church planning, and uh, you were looking at your city, uh, and then it began to grow even larger, even wider. And of course, there were many church planning networks that you guys could have partnered with, but you didn't go that route. You launched this new network of networks that's now called New Thing. What's crazy, it started with one network in Chicago. It's now up to 333 networks involving more than 6,100 churches in, I think we're close to, what, 80 or 90 nations at this point? And they're working together to plant reproducing churches in their city, in their region. That's decentralized leadership. That's extraordinary. That's a God thing. So we're assuming that this is due to some kind of conviction in you that the world needs decentralized networks and decentralized leadership instead of more centralized organizations. So why is that? What does a decentralized network mean to you? What does decentralized leadership mean to you? And how has that emerged in you? And why do you feel is it necessary? You're probably giving uh, giving me more strategic credit than is deserved. Because, I mean, you guys have both been around long enough and you've done you know, workshops at both of you at conferences, that kind of stuff. And most of the stuff that you teach at workshops, it's kind of like you look at the stuff that worked and you just look backwards and you go like, hmm, what are the five things I did? <laughs> and going into it, you didn't go like, oh, here's the five things I should do. And then you do them. I wouldn't even say we really plan to start a network. Um, the vision, and it'd be fun for me to do more thinking on this, but the vision really was more about movement. So we started with this kind of vision of movement, which I think is what you have with Jesus in Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the earth. I also came from a church tradition that at least, they at least used the vernacular of movement. And so that was kind of a little bit, in my, even though they weren't that, and maybe had been at one time, it was a little bit in my uh, ecclesial, ecclesiastical, is that a word? Uh, it is now. It is now. Yeah. Okay. There we go. So I think for us, really, we didn't really start a network. The vision was to start a movement, and then so we planted. A, and I'll just I'll just kind of tell the story. I mean, we had a youth pastor who wanted to plant a church, and you've heard me tell this story, both of you guys. I wasn't really too keen on the idea the first time. I mean, I I, I like the I like church planting in general. I like that concept, but as far as like one of my best staff people, you know, who I wanted to be the youth pastor for my kid, I didn't wasn't really thrilled about him leaving. Well, long story short, I sent him out to Colorado where he wanted to, to go check out this place. And then he came back and like he was gone about a week with some friends and he'd already raised $200,000, which is just a, a buttload of money. I mean, it was kind of it was clear that God was doing something and I need to get on board with it. I had enough sense about that. And I'm going, OK, we need to bless this and get behind it. So we did. and We sent 35. Dave, about your story and what you've made clear in your comments that that longing for movement which i would also call gospel saturation it's like the gospel is so important jesus is so amazing we need our city saturated with this or we need our country saturated with that like when that value is burning hot enough in someone's soul i do think you're right that's the beginning of decentralized leadership it's like i gotta let i gotta let i I gotta let things go i was hearing that too yeah i mean in hero maker we call it multiplication thinking and and i think a lot of us we're we're, kind of we are kind of stuck on like how do i grow my church instead of how do i grow the kingdom 
And I, I think there was some of that in me, and that's why I think I was reluctant even to plant that first church. So we planted that church, and then after that, we planted one in Southern California the next year. And then in the year after that uh, was one outside of Detroit, 242 Church in Michigan. And then the year after that, I think, was Boston and then New York. And anyway, so we just kind of doing like about one or so a year, and we would all get together and hang out. And you mentioned the big idea. A lot of it, we were kind of just using content with each other. We were all friends. And we'd go to somebody's city and just hang out and have a good time. But it kept growing, and it got to the place where there was probably eight or nine churches. And I couldn't connect with everybody on a regular basis while I was still leading the, the, my own church. And so I, so it was just kind of, it seemed like common sense, like, well, why don't we just start two networks? And that's when I think at that point in time, I think I asked Greg Lee at, at Suncrest, and I think Dave Dummett, I said, hey, why, why don't you guys just lead these two networks and then and I'll connect with you. And so in some ways in pursuing movement, I think networks became the vehicle. And now later on, I'm mean, now we're seeing the huge value through new things. As you mentioned, there's over 300 networks around the world. We're seeing a huge value in those, but it was all, more like we kind of pursued the, the movement and that mission and the way to get there was like, Hey, these small networks, and I think that might even be worth us talking about. These small networks are really the vehicle that's that that we've seen God use. Yeah, give us a. Let's say I don't know anything about networks. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, uh, you mean like their pastors' prayer breakfast? You guys are getting together to. I go it, that. Is that a network? What are you talking about? Yeah, in, in our case, when we talk about network, because you can't, because even at the beginning you talked about, well, you're going to join a lot of other net church planning networks, and a lot of other church planning networks are, when they say network, it may be 400 churches, it may be, you know, 250, maybe a thousand, whatever, and it whole things like a conglomeration called network. When we use the term network, or I'm using the term network here, I really, I think, ideally, it's probably four to six churches, four to six churches that come together around uh, a common vision and a common value. And that's some of the stuff I got you know, from our buddy, Alan Hirsch. Alan, early on, I just paid real close attention to Alan, who I think is one of the brightest missiologists that we have. He, taught, he used this term, chaotic. And the whole idea behind chaotic was that there would be this, this order in the middle of this movement that would be around vision and values. That's where the order would be, but everything else should just allow chaos to happen. We kind of took that to heart. So at New Thing, our vision is to be a catalyst for a movement of reproducing churches. And the values that we have are these four R's. And these four R's of relationship, reproducing, residency, and resources each have a commitment you make. And um, as long as you're committed to that, then, hey, we're doing this, th- we're doing this thing together. And uh, other than that, we want to do everything we can to make you successful as you advance the Jesus mission. Thank you for that, and thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the posture that's in your heart. I think that's what Rob was getting at. There's a posture of permission giving, a posture of sharing power or influence or whatever word you want to throw in there. Without that posture, it seems like the inertia is to come to instead of go from. You know, for whatever reason, I'm not a scientist, but I'm thinking about the Big Bang Theory and whatever you think about that. It seemed like there was this draw in till it hit this tiniest of things and then it has exploded out. And all we know is the explode out. But what's interesting to me to see is that in most structures of churches that I have seen, been a part of, and even led in the past, uh, is, you know, come here, come to. You have set this thing to go out. And what I love is that there's an infinity to that. 
there's there's no stopping to that. My assumption is if you really want to lead your entire organization, your entire church, your entire network into that type of posture, it can't start at the church multiplication level. It has to start at the smallest level, disciple making. How do you do that? And how do you think that has helped influence the capacity of community Christian to be willing for there to be a new thing, for them to be willing to be an exponential? Great question. And, and, and if I could, before I even answer the question, I think what you're saying, Brian, too, and, I, and for everybody that's listening, if you want to make the biggest impact with your leadership, this is how you do it. And I think that gets wasted on people. I think somehow by having people, like you said, coming to you, you think that's how you, you grow your influence. And so in some ways, and Rob was very kind in his introduction, talking about being humble and stuff. The weirdest thing is I find that the, the, the more I do this hero making thing and the more I try to empower other people, actually my influence grows. Does that make sense? It's and inverted. So, yes. Right. So, so you're doing it for selfish reasons, is what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, you, seriously, at, at this, seriously, Rob, at this point, no, at this point, yeah, I'm going like, hold this it, works. I think I've stumbled onto something. <laughs> it's amazing. So it's I, the inverse. No, it's like it's an inverse economy. True. It's crazy. It's like yeah, it's uh, everything's reversed and, and again, in the kingdom. And, yeah. yeah. And and to your point, Brian, and you, and you do a great job with with training people on this. You're right. It has to start. It has to start at the smallest level. Now, I I would say though. And maybe this will be both disappointing, but also an encouragement to your listeners. I think at Community Christian, we've done an okay job at that. Because what we probably did early on, especially, is I think we focused on how do we multiply and reproduce leaders. And so I think we've always done a fairly good job of that and then counted on them to disciple the people. And they and I think I think we're doing a better and better job of what we're doing. We call it developing three C Christ followers. And I think we're doing a better and better job of that. But early on, I think our primary emphasis was, was even actually kind of one notch up. And so we kind of missed it. And it was kind of like, how do we really develop leaders? And then those leaders, then staff, and then staff, and then church planners and church planners, we multiply from there. Um, but my conviction now is you're absolutely right. That I think the thing at the smallest, the smallest thing you have to develop is these apprentices, what we call apprentices of Jesus. How do you do that over and over and over and over again? How are you guys going about that? What are the key practices? What are the relational environments? Uh, we agree with you uh, that multiplication and reproduction is for every level. And I, what I hear you sharing in your story is, hey, we started really focusing on reproducing churches, which is a bit like deadlifting. <laughs> but it became a part of your narrative, which then made it valuable at every level. Yes. I mean, slightly different, Rob. I wouldn't say we started on re focusing on reproducing churches. It was more like we started on focusing, reproducing leaders. And I meant that when I said that, like small group leaders. So small group leaders. And then, so we, or from day one, we were doing that. And also that our own staff and all those kind of things. More recently, no, I think when we talk about, we're talking about, we, we describe now a community and we use some of Doug Paul's language to, we talk about the three C's as being the radical minimums. Because while I know you can't, it's really hard to kind of quantify what it means to be a, an apprentice of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus. We're going, okay, let's try to do the best we can. And those three C's are relationships. And so I think relationships allow you to continue to grow, to continue to evolve, to continue to get deeper and deeper. And so we want every person to grow in these three relationships. Your relationship, first of all, 
with God, which is what we call celebrate. And we have, there's a lot of different practices we have that we do with that. We're getting ready to come up on our annual 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we're just going to boldly tell everybody in our whole church, you know what? We want everybody to do this. In fact, we just, I just came from our teaching team meeting and I, I'm, we're just going to be really frank. No, we want everybody to do this. And there's a variety of ways you can do it. Uh, then there's also connect, which is life in the second relationship with the church. How are you doing life together in community? It was, this is not meant to be an individual sport. It's a team sport. And so we want everybody doing, be doing life in community. And then thirdly is the contribute, the third C of contribute. That's your, your relationship with the world. And that's where we challenge everybody to use the blessed practices. And um, we, we try to keep, we keep data on how many people are uh, 1C Christ followers, how many people are 2C Christ followers, how many people are 3C Christ followers. That is the primary metric that we use because if, if people are continuing to grow and we're getting more and more maturing 3C Christ followers, we assume that's the key leverage point and everything else is going to follow after that. Sounds like a, a up in and out which is a repeating theme. It's the same thing, just different language. Yep, exactly. So um, Dave, let's say you notice me. I'm in your sphere of influence. Maybe I'm in your neighborhood or maybe you notice me at the campus and you decide, I want to help. I think the Holy Spirit's calling me to help Rob as an apprentice of Jesus. Give us a little narrative. Like, what does that look like? What are the invites? What are the things that you're apprenticing me on? Maybe there's someone like that, a story that you could share. What does it look like on the ground? You know, think of a church leader who's listening to this. And let's be honest, a lot of church leaders, we, we were never discipled by anybody. And so we're trying to figure this out by reading books. But what does that look like for you personally as a disciple maker or a hero maker? Well, I mean, when we talk about hero making, hero making is just disciple making at a leadership level. So it's, it's very, very similar to the same thing. But go back to your question about this, the, the disciple making or apprentice of Jesus. Charlie and Debbie live right next door to me. All right. So Charlie and Debbie, um, one of the things that I do is, and this is kind of, this is me and I'm kind of basing this on kind of, you know, you reproduce who you are at the, uh, at the bottom of my, my journal here, you know, I, I write the word bless and then I'll always have eight nine, 10 people. And quite frankly, uh, since the pandemic, they're always people in my neighborhood because I we're still not meeting. We're not meeting in person. We haven't since March. And so those are the people I mostly interact with. So those are some people that I'm praying for every day when I get the opportunity that, and I won't go through all the blessed practices, but I, you know, we're having conversations out in the yard, yucking it up about different things, building friendships. Uh, our small group had a, had a, had a watch party, I think two, three weeks ago, uh, outdoors on our back porch, invited everybody over and including Charlie and Debbie and Charlie and Debbie, of course, because we're all having, we're all having breakfast together. I got good friends who go to the yellow box and I want them to meet them. So they come over. Charlie's actually, I don't think ever been to our church. Debbie's been once to the actual Wednesday church, the actual physical location, but he comes over and he's totally loving it. In fact, it's kind of funny afterwards because he's from the South. So I think he's got some, he's got a church memory. And so he finds me afterwards and after the first, we did this twice. The first watch party came over and he's like, hey, like if I want to give money, how do I do that? Went straight to <laughs> it, man. Which is like so weird. <laughs> Where's the offering? I know. He just, oh, I, I was kind of, I know, like you're jumping all the. It says a lot you, about you just, you his, just, his experience. You just high jump past most of my whole church. That's so funny. <laughs> That's so funny. But anyway, so he was old school. So yeah, he, he wrote a check and, and sent it in. And then the second time after, after we had the watch party, he was like, hey, you know what? 
I got, I got, I got a couple of friends and there, cause he's from like South Carolina. I got a couple of friends in South Carolina. I think they would really like this. I'm going to, I'm going to ask them if they want to check it out just because we show, we were just doing online. So basically what we do is you just invite them into your life. We're doing the blessed practices. The next step with them would in the end time just say, Hey, we do this thing every Tuesday night, our small group. And it, it's just to include that in that community. And what comes out of that then is really it's a smaller group where we have there's like a dozen of us and it's and it's and and together with an apprentice leader you're discipling those those folks into those into those three C's of how do you okay how do you continue to grow and celebrate how do you continue to grow and connect how do you continue to grow and, and contribute and um, that's kind of how we do it. Here's what back to the beginning with your introduction. It's one of the things I respect most about you. You're leading at the highest level, level five leader a movement of 6,000 churches and over 300 networks, and you're leading at the the smallest level. Like, your neighbors know they're loved by you. They're invited into your family. They're invited to your back porch. And you, you're proving that it's possible. Uh, one of the dangers of centralized leadership is it starts to feel like, well, I don't have time for that lower-level thing because I have all these higher-level things. And... Your life message is basically you're going to lose your integrity at the high level things if you stop the low level. And when I say high and low, we're not talking about value. We're talking about ground war versus air war. And I just want to thank you for your example, man. Really, it's powerful. But I, I kind of, I mean, I feel like like leaders. We have to remember we're culture creators, and and we're gonna, you know what we're gonna. And if you don't, if you get to the place where you don't like your church that you're leading and you've been there for three or four years, it's probably your fault. <laughs> right. And so I know, and, and we can go down the laundry list of things I'm not doing that I should be, or wish I was, or would like for my other, other people to do it. But I do, there is a conviction at least, and I'm trying to operate on that. No, well, I'm going to reproduce who I am. And so I think it's not only an integrity question, but it's also a bigger kind of culture creating question too. I know. Dave, my assumption, based upon my experience at trying to, you know, lead the the growth of a lot of this stuff, I do that with Disciples Made, not nearly the scope that uh, where you are, but hope to get there, but I'm always going to be leading a group as well. And there's, it, there's advantages, like you talked about earlier, you know, there's just advantages to leading this way, you know? What are the advantages of staying on the back porch that actually assist you with leading at the highest level? Because if there is a pastor or a church leader on the call right now and they're going, whoa, 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 that's, 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 that's reading my mail, I can't see how that could be possibly be an advantage. What would you say are the distinct advantages you would probably miss out on if you didn't live on the back porch as much as you do, say, on a podcast for other people like us or other organizations? There's some things where, I mean, you actually will know what works and what doesn't work or have at least a better understanding of what works and doesn't work. I, I kind of came from away from my experience, like doing these watch parties is I'm not sure watch parties in the Chicago area with the weather. I don't think <laughs> I don't think that's a, I don't think that's something that's sustainable. But I do think it's a great evangelistic tool for small groups. When we do have good weather and when we can periodically do it, hey, we ought to take advantage of it. In fact, we ought to even figure out maybe there's certain dates and maybe we can even rally our groups like, hey, certain times where we could do this. Cause and it's such an easy invite, especially if you have breakfast, have food. I mean, it's just like a party, right? So I think 
you kind of realize what stuff works and what stuff what stuff doesn't work, and that's a huge advantage. I continue to find my joy leading at the highest level, so to speak, by doing the groundwork, and it just continues to reinvigorate my soul, so I don't become alienated from what we're actually trying to accomplish. So, yeah, I'll tell you, you know what? Let me stop there. But for me, it's like when like one of my friends finds their way back to God. You know, when I get like, if I get to baptize them, not because I'm their pastor, but because I'm their friend, that's what does it for me. That's the I'm going, that's kind of like okay, that's why we started this whole thing. It's dessert, man, it's dessert, <laughs> or the main course. <laughs> hey, Dave, you know, right now we can look around the world, and a lot of Christians in the West might not be aware of this, but it's actually the greatest hour in the history of the church, like the most multiplicative disciple-making movements, church-planting movements in history are actually happening right here, right now, in our time. And those church-planting movements, the primary expression or form of the church is what you could call microchurch. They tend to be rabbit-sized churches that reproduce like rabbits, right? Where you got someone who's a good missionary, disciple-maker, they plant the gospel, and then this village of 30 or 40, 50 people all become disciples, and then it kind of spills over into another network or another village. And then suddenly there's 100,000 churches in a movement in India. And that's a real story. I'm not making that up. Um, talk to Sam Stevens. He'll tell you all about it. Um, and that's happening in literally thousands of places around the world. And it seems like in COVID, the, the church in the microchurch expression is being validated now in the West. And I know that's something you're pressing forward with with your 3C community. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, what are those? How are you training people um, to be microchurch leaders? And why are you going that direction? Which you've alluded to already with the red, yellow, and green. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think you're right. I, th I think what's happened with the, the pandemic and COVID, I do think with these new preferences, new behaviors, I think there was already the opportunity in the West, but I think there's a greater opportunity. How about that? Two factors, I would say. One is I do think there's a hunger for transcendence or spirituality. People may not say Christianity or the church, but they're looking for something bigger than themselves to get them through what they're going through. And that's been validated just even Google. Google's talking about the number of searches for God and prayer and church. And those things has is, is, is gone up over the last nine months. So I think you got that as a factor. So there's an increased interest in spirituality. But also I think there's also a new desire for something that's smaller and safer. A lot of those yellow light, red light folks and, and all that whole that whole spectrum there. And I think what that does, I think it does, it sets it up now for the church in the West to go like, okay, how do we do these micro expressions of the church? A community, we're calling them 3C communities, which are basically small uh, volunteer or lay led expressions of the church, wherever you live, work or play. We're starting small at the, as a beta phase where we have six of them, uh, three are in Spanish, uh, three are in English. We got one in Chicago and one in Mexico City. Uh, we're using disciples made content to train them. So this is not a commercial, but it is a commercial. You should, you should check it out. We don't mind. <laughs> Thank you. We're so and excited actually, to be I mean, too, I mean, working with you guys. You guys I mean, too, you use the blessed practice yes. all the way through it, mm -hmm. which is something that's been a part of what we're doing. And so we're excited to have all our people do that. So we do a 14 week training. And then we're going to we're going to release them. And I think one of the real opportunities, particularly, for, you know, we're a fairly large church and community. We have tons of great content. 
we have tons of great even training and tools. And I think the next thing is if we can just take that content, take that training, and then I think this is something that we have done well over the years, provide a relationship where we give them great coaching and then just let them go. I think there's tremendous opportunity. So we see those six. We're pretty sure that we won't get it right the first time, but we're going to, hey, let's give it a shot. We're going to come back, retool it. We'll do another six. We'll get a 12. But I, my hope, my prayer is very quickly that'll move to 100, you know, 3C communities. And then, you know, if that's the case, I could see a thousand that are not necessarily even a part of community. That's kind of what we're trying to do. And Rob, you've been a tremendous influence because uh, I, I talked to Ted and Rodrigo and Patrick and they're like, well, let me check with Rob, so, <laughs> you know, well, <laughs> see, see if that's the right thing. See, that's the right thing to do. We love being uh, a part of your, your uh, journey. And I love that you've created a space hmm. to run the experiment. It's a skunk works program and that you're also committed to iteration. It's like, Hey, this is a beta. And I just, if you're a church leader listening, I, I hope you'll take that to heart. You don't have to reboot everything. Like just create a safe space, free up some leadership horsepower and run some experiments and then go learn from practitioners, you know, get informed on your experiments. And, and I love Dave, the vision that you have, that's both, some of them are connecting with the campus, but then some of them will be interdependent. They'll still be connected with coaching, uh, but you're allowing for cultural, for them to adapt for what's appropriate for their context. And I think what you said is important at least that's what we're learning early on i think having this thing is like us to use a kind of a business term a skunk works operation where it is set aside and it, we don't have to deal with all the same assumptions that one of our physical locations or the rest of the church deals with i think that's going to be i think it's that'll be hard but also very very important in making them successful i think that's the next big thing to figure out is how those work together and I'm excited to have guys like you helping uh, innovate that into reality. Dave Ferguson, thank you. Thank you for spending your time with us. Such a huge asset. I mean, the two things that you just brought in that last piece of the conversation about C3, I want to just emphasize one more time on the way out. He decentralized the leadership. He gave him permission. He opened his hands. And he dreamed big. Well, it could be 100. Well, it could be 1,000. Well, it could be 10 million. I mean, this is, this is what we do. Uh, thank you for Dreaming Big. Dreaming Big is actually the regional conference that you did up in Chicago and then repeated at Exponential that have actually resulted in the five and the 20-year vision of Disciples Made. It started with 50 disciple-making movements in Kansas City by 2025. And then I go to Exponential, you pull the same story out and don't leave us, you know, off the hook just because we've heard it before. You say, dream bigger. And that's where we went to 50 cities with 50 disciple-making movements. That'd be 1 million people who've developed character and calling. If you have not read the book Hero Maker, grab it right now. Dave, where's the best place to go? Any place in particular to get that book? Uh, yes, if you want to find Hero Maker, go to HeroMakerBook.org. 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 The, the essence of uh, this whole thing called decentralization is just refusing to be a hero and just committing to be a hero maker. Just keep pouring it out, pouring it out, pouring it out. You can't help but to have decentralized disciple making that leads to decentralized leadership development and decentralized churches and networks that eventually span the globe. Dave, thanks again for your time. We love you. We're grateful for you. Keep leading well. Thanks, man. You too.
We hope that what you heard today was an encouragement to you or that it increased your curiosity in making disciples that make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our experiences or set up a coaching call, you can visit us at disciplesmade.com or email podcast at disciplesmade.com.